0: Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to SOMA's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at solma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at SOMA.Church. Enjoy the message. We've been in a series called Make Room, and really excited today because as we wrap up our series, we're going to have four different amazing preachers, four different amazing communicators come and bring God's Word. One passage of Scripture, one message, four different angles on that message. And so Amanda and Troy and Arica and Dallas are going to bring the message today. So listen, let's go. So listen, I know 1115, I know y'all got, like, I know y'all lean in, I know there's a hype crowd, and just just lean in, man, take notes, I'm going to be right down here, shouting them down, um, God's already been moving in a powerful way the last two services. I got just a few things before we hit message that I need to communicate coming off of last weekend, because last weekend was crazy. So how many of y'all were here last weekend, we just dropped a bomb on everybody, I was like, so it takes a minute to kind of process for it to settle what God's doing, we, um, we, we, last weekend, we communicated, hey, here's where we're headed as a church. Here's doors that open. God's doing things that only he can get credit for, thus the campaign name, Only God. We're getting ready to do a series starting next week called Only God, and uh, it's going to be in the book of Acts. So we're going to spend two months in the book of Acts. It's the best time ever. If you have people who, friends, family, who don't have a church home, uh, don't have a, a people to call family or a place to call home, people who are far from God, invite them to just watch God work on them over the course of September and October. But Only God is both uh, a campaign and an initiative, a thing for us to run at collectively as a church family and just say hey let's just ask god in this season what can we sacrifice what can we do what's our portion when it comes to just helping build what god wants to build but also just a season for us as a church to just again put our full weight on it and then watch god work i want to encourage you to come next week cuz it's our 5th birthday as a church next week which is so crazy cuz like we exist we still here we out in these ministry streets. So, like after five years, man, it's wild to see God how many people have come to faith in Christ, how many people have gone taken the next step and going public with their faith or families who are just leaning in, people who are church that have never churched before, because of your faithfulness and the faithfulness of so many others to just help build God's house and just reach and just steward a season. And so we're just gonna have a party next week because we can. And so uh fifth birthday, we're gonna have a party, it's gonna be a lot of fun doing research, looking at the number five in scripture, it's the number of God's grace, it's the number of God's favor, which just feels like crazy considering all the things that are happening behind the scenes. And so make plans to join us next week. With that, we're moving our service times a little bit. And so uh, we're going to make, so eight o'clock is staying the same, 5 p.m. is staying the same. But last weekend we had close to 1,600 people come to church on like, yeah, which is awesome. Awesome. Except parking, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, everybody's like parking at the U-Haul and just cars, parking on cars and just, you know, like, so we're trying to make more room, 8 a.m., 5 p.m. being the, the, the final frontier, you know what I mean? we got lots of room at the 5 p.m. You want to come to that party, I would encourage you to come to the 5 p.m. But the idea is um, we need to create space in between services as well to turn services. So between the 8 and the 9.30, for example, it was, it's a zoo, okay? Uh, and between 9.30 and 11.15, it's okay because we have an hour and 45 minutes. So we want to create the same amount of time. What we're doing is bumping services by 15 minutes. So 8 will stay the same, 9.45, 11.30. Some of y'all get here second, third song, that's kind of when you get here anyway. So just keep doing what you're doing, you'll be on time. All right, so we debated, we're like, should we even tell them? We should tell them, no. So you'll be here a little bit early. So 8, 9.45, 11.30, everybody say 11.30. 11.30, 1130 is your new service time. So 11.30 and then five. And and so just make room, man. Make plans uh, to join us next week for birthday. And um, speaking of birthday, 12 years ago, at this exact moment, straight up at this exact moment, uh, my wife gave birth to our daughter, Natalie. And I got the microphone, I didn't even ask permission. I didn't ask permission, but I'm dad, and, like, there's got to be some kind of benefit to being being a PK. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of downsides. there got to be some upsides. Would y'all do me a favor? Would you help me sing her happy birthday to Natalie? Come on. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Natalie. Happy birthday to you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, we didn't tell her we're gonna do that. So, um, all right, so make room, last week of make room, and really excited every single week, a different angle on make room. This week is all about the promises of God. What do we need to do in our lives? To make room for the promises of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, if you're in relationship with God, even if you're not, He still has promises for you. And it's about what our willingness is to step into those promises. And it's really, it just looks like it just looks like obedience is what um, Leviticus 26 is teaching us. Man, there's promises that God has for us. How do we grab a hold of them? And each of these communicators is going to give you a different promise. But I'm going to tee it up with this: Leviticus 26 verses one through three. It says this: God's talking. To the people of Israel, he says, "Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land and bow down before it. Don't pursue other gods. I am the Lord your God. Observe my sabbaths. Have a rest and a trust in me. Have a reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord." Verse three. If and there's a conditional promise, and I love these conditional phrases that God gives us. He says, "Here's the promises, and we're frustrated when we don't get the promises, but we don't meet the conditions." If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, then this is what God has for us. Y'all give it up for, us, for Amanda as she comes and she shares God's word this morning.
1: Give it up for Jesus and my 412 group on the front row representing. I get the privilege today of talking about the provision of God. And I want to start at the beginning of verse 3 again where it says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you the seasonal rains. The land will then yield its crops and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. Your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. And you will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. I want to notice how that passage starts with, If you, if you carefully obey, then I will. God provides on the other side of obedience. Because the call to obedience never stops. The work never ends. Then you will harvest. Then you will plant. Then you will harvest again. Then you will eat. And then you'll keep doing that over and over. And that cycle will cause you to live in security. God is moving on our behalf. But the provision of God isn't just on him to make things happen for us. The provision of God requires our participation We have a part to play in what God is doing. And guess what? Our part looks like hard work, and he's not going to do our part for us. The provision of God isn't a product from God. It's a process with him. It's the rain, and it's the dirt, and it's the ability to put our hands and feet to work. So if the provision has ended, if it's a desert season in your life, maybe it's not because God is withholding the rain. Maybe it's because the obedience has ended. Maybe it's because the work has paused. So in my favorite book of the Bible, in Numbers, we find the people of God. They're wandering the desert. They've recently been freed from generations of slavery. They're on their way to the promised land, and this is what they have to say. The people fell to grumbling over their hard life. God heard. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And God is kind enough here to remind his people and us of the provision he had chosen for his people. Manna was a seed-like substance with a shiny appearance like resin. The people went around collecting it and ground it between stones and pounded it fine in a mortar. Then they boiled it in a pot and shaped it into cakes. And it tasted like a delicacy cooked in olive oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna was right there with it. So here is God, the maker of heaven and earth, directly providing for his people. And they are missing it because they have given up on obedience. They have given up on their daily call to gather manna, to daily transform it into cakes. They're already over it. They want something else. And I think that sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it? God, I want a different spouse. God, I need a better job. God, why are all my friends losers? God, my house is too small. God, my rent is too high. God, can I please have a body without cancer? God, can I have a life without betrayal? God hears us. He knows what we're going through, and the reality is he has already moved on our behalf. But if our obedience has paused, we can't hear him. And we can't feel the rain that he has already sent. We become unsatisfied. And here's God's answer to his people. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. And you shall eat not just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days. I mean, God is about to make it rain some meat. And in our house, we call that a beast feast. So it's hunting season. I'm actually a vegetarian. I married a hunter from a family of hunters. And a beast feast is when you cook all the animals and bring them to the table. So if you guys want to invite to our next beast feast, you can hit up Gary Rao. But God goes on, he says, I'm going to send a beast feast and not just a day or two or five or 10 or 20, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Ooh, it started out okay, right? Because we hear us getting our way. yes. If I complain to God loud enough and for long enough, he will relent and give me what I want. But maybe what we actually want is a return to slavery. And maybe if God gave us what we asked for, we would miss out on the provision that he has planned for us you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. When you pray, don't babble on. Your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. And then he goes on to teach us, give us today the food we need. Not give us all the food we need. Give us today the food we need. For those of us that grew up memorizing the Lord's Prayer, we might have learned it in a different translation that says, give us today our what? Turn to your neighbor and say, I want that daily bread. It's the difference between an all-you-can-eat buffet and a five-star restaurant with a tasting menu. The point is, if God gave us everything all at once, we wouldn't know what to do with it. So provision is a process, and it's a process that requires our participation, and provision comes through obedience, daily surrender, daily gratitude to what God has put in front of us, doing our part because we recognize that God has already done his part. So I want to ask us today, where is God pouring himself out? Where is he sending rain in our lives? Where has he called you to work? And not just a little bit, but where has he called you to pour all of your energy and time and resources into? Because some part of your life and mine, there is rain And there's dirt and there's a place to plant a tree. For our family, it looks like the Only God campaign because we see God pouring himself out on that. And so we're going to pour ourselves out. We're going to lean in hard because we don't want to miss out on what God is building. You know, maybe he didn't give you the guacamole and tortilla chips that you ordered. But he gave you a seed and some soil and a shovel. It's time to get to work. Go there and do the thing that God has called you to do. Gather your daily manna. Pray for your daily bread because Taco Tuesday is coming. And as we work and as we pray, we'll see that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Can you give him some praise this morning if he has provided for you?
2: All right, I don't know how I follow Taco Tuesday. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Are y'all in the back ready? Yeah. All right, no, not really. they're not. They're not. All right, I'm going to pick up on verse six. All right, I will grant peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Uh, say it like a Southerner. Say peace. Pace. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase 100, and a 100 of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. So I'm here to tell you guys a little bit about peace, talk a little about peace. Can anybody raise their hand if they just need a little bit more peace in their life? if we're just honest with ourselves, even if you've got some peace, you just could use some more of it. And for me, I've realized that I'm more and more, as I get older, hungry for peace, that there are people all over the world who are desperate for peace, who are craving for peace, because we pop on the news and we see some other tragedy, or we scroll through this, and it makes us feel like we always have to be in a comparison game. But peace is something we oftentimes get confused as well. If I'm being honest, I get confused with this concept because to me, and I don't know if you're like me, but when I think about peace, I think it's, it's far from me. I think peace is some elusive concept that I'll never actually be able to actually obtain because I'm just waiting for the shoe of life to drop. Is anybody else like that? Where you're just like, okay, I'm cool now, but I know something's around the corner. And even if I've got peace for a moment, it's almost like I don't trust it fully because I'm just waiting for something to get back in my way. But we get the concept of peace wrong a lot. A lot of times when I'm asking for peace, what I'm asking for, what I'm doing is really trying to avoid the pain in my life. I'm trying to, by all means, trying to avoid anything that I potentially have to deal with. If I I don't look at that bill that I know is overdue on the counter, I got peace right? If it's not there, you didn't get it. You got peace, right? If I don't, if I don't think about it, if I don't deal with the problems that I have in my relationship or my marriage, then we must be at peace. If I don't deal with that diagnosis, if I don't actually face it, then I must be at peace. And it's almost like I avoid it to a degree where I trick myself into believing that I am at peace when I know internally that I'm not, that I'm not. And we all know that it doesn't really work that way. So our avoidance can look a lot of different ways. How do you avoid your pain? For me, it's scrolling. Anybody with me? It's scrolling. I've gotten to the point where I have to have something on at all times. On my drive to work, I have to have a podcast. In the shower, I don't take my phone in the shower. I'm not a psychopath. But in the shower... In the shower, I put a podcast over there where I'm listening about sports or I'm hearing music or I'm hearing some type of distraction so that I can be distracted enough where I don't have to, I don't actually have to face the pain that I need to deal with. And so I've even gotten to the point where I have a 50-inch television that I've paid hundreds of dollars for, and I've got something on on that television, and I'm still scrolling at the same time. Anybody else like that? I saw some laughs. I saw some stares. Yeah, we're all like that. But it's, it's that distraction, that avoidance of the pain that we really need to embrace. And if we're really honest with ourselves, when we ask for peace, when you pray for peace, when I ask for peace, I'm really praying for relief. I say, God, can you just take this away? Can you just take this storm away? Can you take this pain away? Can you take this medical diagnosis away? Can you, and, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong to pray to God and say, God, can you heal this, this cancer? There's nothing wrong with saying, can, can you calm these waves? But oftentimes, it's really when I'm asking for relief, it's because I want to be comfortable. And so for us, do you guys remember the story? Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to the other side. And we all need to go in a boat. Disciples get in the boat. Then like midway through the journey, a hurricane comes. And disciples are freaking out. And Jesus is asleep. And they look at Jesus and they're like, hey, it would be a good time if you weren't asleep right now. Um, And then they like wake up. Jesus calms the waters. He rebukes the storms. And he says, where is your faith? And I think that story really speaks to me in the aspect of peace. Because oftentimes I'm too focused on the storm rather than the Savior that's in my boat. If our focus is too much on the storm, on our circumstances, because we know our circumstances are always going to be less than ideal. We know it. Somewhere around the corner, something's coming. But our peace can't be rooted in the storm. Our peace has to be rooted in the Savior who is in your boat. And so stop paying attention to the storm. Pay attention to the Savior who is bigger than your storm. And also in verse 6, I think it's so interesting. I think it's so interesting that in verse 6, it says, I will grant you peace. He says, I will grant you peace. And then he says, you will lie down and you will not be afraid. And he's actually detailing the entire posture of peace. Because you guys, there is no better posture of where you're relaxed and you're peaceful than when you're lying down. I'll prove it to you. Because you're vulnerable when you're lying down. So I have a three-year-old son. His name is Deacon. He is all boy, okay? All boy. He'll destroy everything, okay? He's, he, he loves swords. He loves fighting. He is all boy. He's complete opposite of my daughter. My beautiful daughter's like this princess, and he's like a rabid raccoon that just gets released into our home every day. And so he loves to fight. So we have one rule in our house is you can fight, but you can only fight me. You can only fight dad. Some of you are looking at like, that's not good parenting. And I'm like, you're probably right. <laughs> but you can't, you can't touch your sister. You can't fight with your mom. You have to fight with me. But anybody that has small kids, and because I know my son and I fight with him, anyone that has small kids know I will never lie down near my son. <laughs> you guys get what I'm talking about? You lie down near your kids, and they're Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you right with the people's elbow as soon as, As soon as you're not expecting it. But that's the thing. I think it's interesting that God will even articulate the posture that we are to to possess. And the reason why is because when you're in that posture of lying down, you are at your most vulnerable. You are at your most vulnerable. And so what he's articulating is I will grant you so much peace. I will protect you so much that you can be in your most vulnerable state and still know that I got you. And somebody needs to hear that today because you may be in your space and you may be like, I am in my most vulnerable space that I've been at in years. God still got you. He will grant you peace. He will grant you peace. And so, so as we move forward into verse, into verse seven, it says, so, so in verse six, it says, I will grant you peace. And then uh, the second part of verse six, it says, you will lie down. And then it says I will remove the beast. But then here's the interesting part is it says you will pursue. You will pursue your enemies. Because oftentimes we think that peace is passive. Peace is not something that happens to you, it happens through you. And so for us as we move forward throughout our day, we need to pursue peace. We need to pursue our enemies. And you might be like, well, I don't have any enemies. Who are my enemies? And in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, it says, let me get it, find it. It says, where did it go? It's lost. It's right here. It's right here. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For often too long, we have been avoiding peace because we've been avoiding our pain. But our pain not, may, might not be a person, but it might be your anxiety. It might be your depression. It might be you comparing yourself to everybody and feeling less than all the time. That might be the enemy that we're actually charged to pursue, and so don't let peace pass you by. Pursue your enemy. When when you have anxiety, when you have depression, you have to face it. You have to face. It says it will fall by the sword. Does anyone remember the the? Uh, Uh, The armor of Jesus, the armor of God. Does anybody remember what the only offensive weapon is? The word. So when the enemy is attacking you and keeping you from your peace, talk back to it. Tell them the truth. Tell them the promises that God has actually given you. Fight with the word of the spirit. All right, I'm going to end here. I'm going to close here. They only gave me 10 minutes. He's crazy for that. How do I pursue peace? Believe that peace is promised. If you're in a place today and you don't believe peace is possible, I'm telling you that it is. God's word is telling you that it is. Peace is promised. You may not feel it right now, but that's okay. Because it's not about the storm. It's about who's in your boat. Surrender the faith. Surrender with faith and know that God is moving on your behalf, that he's moving before you. That he's moving behind you. That he is moving on your behalf. And fight against your enemies with the truth of God. Fight against anxiety with the truth. Fight against depression with the truth. Do not let idly by with our avoidance keep us from actually pursuing the peace that God has called us to. If you guys are ready to just charge for peace, can we give it up for the Prince of Peace? Can we give it up for God? Can we give it up for him?
3: Come on, I am so thankful for the promises of God, for his provision and for his peace. These next few verses, they talk about the abundance of our God. They talk about how whenever we commit to doing just as God has instructed, there is a reward. And that reward is receiving a measure from God, receiving blessing in such a way that we would have much more than what we need. And I also love how the scripture tells us that it is God's will, his intent, his purpose, his plan for you and for me that we would choose to live a life of blessing and a favor. Verse nine says this, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you and you will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. And I love that God is telling the Israelites, he's saying, if you would choose to live a life of obedience, if you would do what I have commanded you, if you would obey my decrees, I would bless you in such a way that seasons would come and you wouldn't even be done with what I've already given you, but I would still give you more. Isn't that good? Y'all better say amen. That's good right there. Their only problem would be too much blessing. Anybody want that problem today? That's right. That's right. And it, it just brings the question, why would God give us much more than what we need? Is he a God that doesn't take inventory on his resources? Is he a God that spreads himself too thin? And the answer is no, no, no. Our God is abundant, lacking in nothing. He is the source. All things come from him and to him. He is good. Our God is an intentional God, and when he gives us more than what we need, it's not just for waste. You see, our God uses everything, and he wastes nothing. So ask your neighbor, what are we going to do with all that blessing? What are we going to do? And Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us that God blesses us with much more than what we need. He gives, he gives to us graciously so that we would meet the needs of others. I also, love Paul, I also love um, 2 Corinthians because Paul also says in chapter 5 that God intends to make his appeal through you and through me. And that word appeal means that God would make our lives a display so that other people would come to meet him, so that other people would come to know him. Our life is meant to be this display of generosity and love and all that God is so that other people could know him. So that other people can meet the Savior that we know. So that other people can, can turn to him and live a life of freedom. Yeah. Live a life of provision. Live a life of peace. Yeah. When I think about this, um, I'm reminded of a time that my mom, I just, I love my mom. Anybody love their mom in the house today? Yeah. Me too, me too. My mom, she's great. Well, I remember this one time my mom, she takes me and my siblings to the grocery store. And she hands me $10. Yeah. And let me tell y'all, when you're eight years old, you ain't got a lot of money, your mama hand you $10, you're about to have a field day, it's about to be good. And she's like, go get snacks. So I'm just running, I'm just skipping up and down the aisles, I'm just getting all my favorite things. And so we get back to the car, I'm basically doing skips in the parking lot, I got all my favorite things. And so we get in the car and my mom, she said, well, let me just tell y'all this first, my mom, she don't play, she don't play, okay, she means what she says and she says what she means. So she says, what did you get? What did you get for the house? I said, not a thing. I only got snacks for me. And she says, did you think that what I gave to you was only just for you? And so I was like, I was like, Ooh, I did. I really did. But I told my mom, I say, um, my response was, mom, I didn't have enough. And she looks at me and she says, if you would have brought to me what you had and asked for more, I could have given you what you needed. And in the same way, God is a good father that when we ask for things that please him, his answer is a delightful yes. I love in First John how it says that. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests known, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. It pleases God to bless you. Yeah. It pleases him. He rejoices. He, de- he, he delights in giving you good things. Every good gift he, he wants to pour out on you. Yeah. Amen. And it also delights God to use our life to be a billboard so that other people could also come to know him. God wants to bless you today. And I believe there's some people in the room that you may be believing that that is not the truth. That God is putting things on reserve for a certain type of person, but that's not true. God's will, his His intentions for you and for me is that we would choose obedience so that he can lavish his love upon us. When I also think of this concept of favor, I think of the Israelites. I think about Um, How in 1 Samuel, um, God wanted to bless the Israelites in such a way. He wanted to do something so significant, so profound that it it would look different from all the other nations. God wanted to do something for them, custom made, first handedly do something. They would have had access to God in a way that no one else would have heard of. But the Israelites, they wanted a king. They're like, God, please give me a king. Please give me a king. And God's like, you could have the king like me right here. You see, the Israelites, had, had, they had an opposition. They would have had to choose to live a life of favor, but it would have cost them something. It would have cost them their lack of trust. It would have cost them their, their comfort. They would have had to be uncomfortable. They would have had to choose to value God's presence above all the other gods in all the other lands. They would have had to choose to live a life with only God at the center. But they, they, they didn't consider the cost well. You see, the Israelites complained in such a way that God gave them over to their best. They gave them over to, God gave them over to what they thought was the best thing. They, he, he was like, okay, here's your king. You see, the Israelites did not choose, they, favor, pass, favor did not pass them because God was not the God of abundance. Favor did not pass him because God didn't have enough to give them. It wasn't this thing that God was like, if you you don't choose favor right now, then I'm going to give it to everybody else and there won't be enough for you. God is not a pick me. I love that it says in 2 Corinthians, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you would abound in every good work. It also says in Romans 2 that God is not a God that he plays favorites. He, he shows no favoritism. So that tells us that you and me can choose to live a life of favor. It's not on reserve for a certain type of person. But if we choose obedience, if we choose to do what God has instructed us to do, we can live a life of favor and blessing, to do favor and blessing that God would give us much more than what we need and that our world would be so much bigger than what we even imagine it now. Anybody want to live a life today of seeing people get saved? Imagine what would happen in Hickory. Imagine what would happen if we began to live a generous life that other people could see who God is through our generosity. Favor requires our generosity. So today, church, if abundance is not the issue, if we serve a God, I love, I love that the scriptures tell us that God's love is limitless. We cannot contain the measure. He is so abundant. He is so big. He is the source of everything. Everything that we have right now, God gave it to us anyway. God is so abundant. He is so big. He is so able. If the problem is not abundant, if, if, if the problem is not a God that's lacking in abundance, I wonder today if we need to ask the Holy Spirit, what's, what is occupying the space of our blessing? What is, what is happening? What is occupying the space? What is our king today? What are we asking God for that's not in alignment to his will and plan for us? I wonder what would happen in Hickory if we only begin to ask God, God, would you bless me with more than what I need so that I can be a blessing to the person next to me, to the person in the grocery store, to the person in my workplace? I wonder if it's that we need to start to be obedient with what God has already given us. If we would start to look through the lens of his goodness today in our own situation and recognize that he is the God of provision, that he is the God of peace, that because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're lacking in nothing and have everything that you need. Ab- ab- abundance is not the problem, but I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where your area that God has given you favor in. I don't know. I don't know, but I know, I believe in the Holy Spirit that does, and the Holy Spirit that would reveal it to you if you only asked. And whatever the measure that God's calling you to give or or calling you to to lay down, a posture of surrender or whatever it is, I know that the measure of the return of his favor will be far greater than what you would even know to think, ask, or imagine. Can we just give it up for the God of favor today?
4: Come on, can y'all help me honor these amazing communicators? crushing it, having a blast. All right, hey, we're round in turn four. We're here. Leviticus 26, verse 11, it says this, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. Come on, who, who in here does not want to be abhorred by God? Anybody else? Come on. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. This last promise is the promise of God's presence. The promises of God, he promises to give us provision. He promises to give us peace. He promises to give us his favor. And he promises that he will be with us that he will be our God and that we will be his people. I will put my dwelling place among you. Reminds me of Psalm 84, verse one. It says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. I know that we don't all know each other in here. My name's Dallas. Great to meet you. Hey, Mal. Great to meet you. I moved here to Hickory from Alabama, the real south, last year. September 18th will be my, my one-year Hickiversary. Uh, I love it. I love Hickory. It's awesome. I remember, though, when I, was, when I was thinking about moving here, when I was praying about moving here, I would ask people in the area, you know, what's your, what's your favorite thing about Hickory? they say, oh, Dallas. Oh, you have to know. Like, best part about Hickory, you hop in the car. Drive an hour south, you're in Charlotte. City, so much stuff to do. It's so fun, it's so lively. The Queen City, the city that never sleeps, right? What's your favorite thing about Hickory? Oh, Dallas, Dallas. Best thing about Hickory, just an hour north. You're in Boone, Blowing Rock, the mountains. It's beautiful. Dallas, you have to go. It's lovely. What's your favorite thing about Hickory? Dallas, we're so close to Asheville. I thought it was hilarious and so interesting that the first, not the only, but the first positive thing anyone had to say about Hickory spoke to our proximity to other cities. It was so funny. What's your favorite thing about Hickory? Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. Oh, the best thing about Hickory is how quickly you can get somewhere else. It's awesome. I heard that and I was like, all right, you know, cool. Hey, sounds great, man. Sounds great. But... In spite of everyone's poor attempts to woo me, here I am. Made it right. I moved and I've really come to love it. I love Hickory. I love Hickory. When I die, bury me under Barker Stadium. That's right. Hey, Red Tornadoes, we're here. Love it. I moved here because God's hand was on this house. God's hand was moving in this community. I moved into the home of two of the loveliest people that I've ever met in my life. I serve who I believe are the best pastors. I tell people all the time, there's a reason that I'm here and not anywhere else. And it's because I believe that our leadership is gifted and secure and humble in ways that, that so many are not. I serve alongside... Yeah, come on, let's give it up for our pastors. We love you. We love you so much. I serve alongside the best team that I've ever served alongside. I have some of the best, you know, coworkers and just people that we get to do life with. It's such a blessing. I moved here because... I believe that the youth are the future of the church, and the church is the hope of the world. Therefore, the youth are the future hope of the world. I moved here because I have a calling on my life personally, and this house has a corporate calling to see people of all generations know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And as I've been here over the last year, I've come to really identify with a phrase that's really become one of my favorite phrases. I read it yesterday on the interstate, this quick trip billboard. says, the people make the place. The people make the place. Hickory's awesome. I love it so much. And I love it because the people make the place. And we read this scripture, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And we wonder what's so lovely about it. Can I tell you, the person makes the place. It's not about a brick-and-mortar building. It's not about, you know, any kind of external reality. The reason that the dwelling place of God is lovely is because his spirit is present there. It's because the person makes the place. But we can think, like, what's, what's so lovely about his presence, though? Ask me. Say, Dallas, what's so lovely about his presence? I'll tell you. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord removes the veil and He ministers freedom. He steps into every environment where there's captivity and he brings liberty. He steps into every bit of bondage, and he breaks chains. He ministers freedom where there is slavery. This Leviticus 26 passage, verse 13, uses that same freedom language. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. One of my favorite worship songs of all time is called When You Walk Into the Room. First time I ever heard it, I was at this prayer and fasting conference with like 300 other teenagers. We had fasted for two days. I mean, you could have played like the ABCs or Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and we would have got on our faces because we were just there. But this song, when you walk into the room, everything changes. And darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit at his feet and worship him. When you walk into the room, come on, sickness starts to vanish. And every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When he walks into the room, the dead begin to rise. Because there is resurrection life in everything that he does. Come on, if you're grateful for the presence of God that transforms every environment. And ministers freedom, ministers life, ministers hope. The person makes the place. When his spirit walks into the room, everything changes. Everything changes. No matter what situation you may be in, no matter what circumstance, no matter how undesirable you might think that your place seems to God, he's willing, he's able, he's ready. One of the best things I ever read, is in a book called Gentle and Lowly. The author said that that God is waiting with anxious expectation for us to draw near to Him. But how often when we fall short, when we have shortcoming, when we have some kind of iniquity, we're so hesitant because we think He'll be upset when really he's, he's sitting on the edge of His seat waiting on us to come back to Him. He's more excited for us to draw near than we are to receive the forgiveness. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, it's the Second Corinthians passage, whenever someone turns to the Lord, The veil is taken away. I think sometimes in 2023, this language of the veil is sometimes lost on us. But let me illustrate it. What Paul is saying when he says the veil is taken away, he's saying that at one time there was a legitimate obstacle. There was a very valid barrier between us and God. There was a veil. But now because of the cross of Christ, that sin that was a legitimate obstacle now has been taken away because of the sacrifice of Jesus the Lamb of God who was slain for you and for me. And Paul is saying now that the veil is removed, there's no obstacle, there's nothing blocking us between God and ourselves, except our willingness to surrender to him. With the veil taken away, with all the obstacles removed, the only thing standing between us and God, us in his presence, us in his spirit, us and freedom is our capacity to repent and to just turn from ourselves back to him. I know, uh, I know we've all got a favorite minor prophet. Mine's Hosea. Shout yours out on the count of three. One, two, three. Hosea chapter 2 verse 15 says this. I will return to her her vineyards and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Come on, God's spirit is desperate. He's waiting on you to turn to him so that he can transform your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. This valley of trouble, we read it in English in 2023 again. You know, I think um, we get so confused sometimes because though the Bible was written for us, it was not written to us. And so a lot of times we get tripped up on the English. But when we read it in the Hebrew, it's it's not the valley of trouble. It's the valley of a core. The valley of a core. God transforms our valley of Accor into a gateway of hope. And to understand what it means, the valley of Accor, we have to to read the context, understand what what Accor means. And it's found in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Now, if you're familiar with Joshua, you'll know chapter 6. That's Jericho, right? And so in this passage, the Israelites, they're going. They're about to cash the check that God sent. They're about to take the promised land. They are moving in. And in chapter 6, up to this point, Victory has become the norm. Victory was like, hey, another day, another dollar. Like, let's, let's go, right? They go to Jericho. God tells them, march around the walls. They march around the walls. They shout, ah! Right? Walls come down. Victory. Another triumph. And then in chapter 7, they step right up to this next army. It's supposed to be another day, another dollar, but they come right up, and they lose. And it's a bitter defeat. They're heartbroken. More than that, they're confused. They're dumbfounded. They don't understand why they've had all this victory so far. But then, all of a sudden, defeat. And God had given them a commandment. He had said, when you go against these armies in battle, don't take any of the spoil for yourself. Don't hold on to anything. Let it all just be stuff that passes away with all these other armies. But there was a member of the Israelite army who had kept some of the stuff for his own belonging. He had taken it for himself. And in chapter seven, the nation of Israel commits this incredible act of national repentance. They turn from their sin. They purify themselves. They consecrate themselves. They say, God, we're sorry. We don't want you to be our weapon to fight our battles. God, we submit ourselves to you to fight yours. And they turn back to him. And this valley where they repent and turn back to God, this valley where they surrender, they called it the valley of Accor. And I tell that whole story to illustrate this. Repentance and surrender to God is the key that unlocks the transformative power of God to turn your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. You may think that the place, that the circumstance, the situation that you're trapped in is too undesirable for God to move. But God says, if you would surrender it to me, if you would hand it over to me, if you would turn from your ways, come back to me. If you would align yourself with my truth, if you would repent and turn to God, he'll come into your situation. The person will make the place. The spirit of God will minister freedom and he'll transform your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. That's all it takes. If you want more of His presence, it requires more of your surrender. His presence requires surrender. From the front to the back, close your eyes and, and bow your heads. Let's, let's pray together as we close out this service. God, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you so much that we, the assurance that we have in you, Lord, is provision. Thank you that it's peace. Thank you that it's favor. God, thank you that it's more of your presence. Lord, we just ask right now, God, that you would empower us to surrender, that you would empower our repentance, that you would quicken us to turn back to you when we've fallen short. Lord, we're just desperate for more of you. More than even the promises that you promised, God, we're desperate just for more of you, Holy Spirit. Eyes still closed and heads still bowed. If you're in the room today, And you would say that that your next step is to give your life to Jesus. And that's the decision that you're making this morning. If you're saying, I want to turn from my sin. I want to surrender. I want to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for me and begin a whole new life in him. Can I just ask you to raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. It's amazing. Hands going up all across the room. If that's you right now, don't be scared. Don't be ashamed. Don't be nervous. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, help me to surrender my whole life to you. Jesus, I commit to following you for the rest of my life. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for my sin. Thank you that the veil is removed. Thank you that freedom is mine in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate the life change that just happened in this room? So good. So good. Alright, from the front to the back, everyone stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for us before we end the service with more worship. And just right from from a posture of receiving, just open your hands out right in front of you. I know that some of us in the room, we made the decision to surrender ourselves to Jesus for the first time this morning, to give him our lives. But I know for more of us, we walked into the room and we would say that I already got a relationship with Jesus. But how many of us know that surrender is a daily thing? Surrender is not something that's one and done. I believe that there are people in the room that that we have something to surrender, that we have something else to give Jesus. We have something to offer him and say, Jesus, I've got this anxiety. I've got this insecurity. I've got this fear, this worry, this concern. You just want to hand it over to Jesus. So let me pray for us as you're receiving. God, thank you so much for every man and woman gathered here together, united under your name, united because of your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you so much for the provision that you promised. Thank you for the peace that you promised. Thank you for the favor that you promised. Thank you for more of your presence, glory that brings freedom, that brings confidence, God. I pray that, that as we go throughout our lives, Lord, that we would wake up in the morning and the first thing on our to-do list would be surrender. That we just would offer ourselves completely to you. That we would be living sacrifices, Lord, that belong to you. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for more of your work in our lives. We're just hungry for you, God. Your dwelling place is lovely. Our hearts and our flesh, they yearn for anywhere that your spirit inhabits, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.